Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. Thanks for visiting. If we haven't met, my name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here, and I want to welcome you to our second week of a four-week Christmas series that we're calling What's This World Coming To? And uh, just real quick before I get started, um, to prevent a bottleneck, because we're kind of full in the service here, when you guys leave today, if you do want to sign up to join with us on that December 22nd red kettlebell ringing, rather than sign up back there in the welcome desk, if you could sign up out here in the, the gallery out here, it would be a lot easier for us to transition this way as the other service comes in. Sorry, announcement over. Welcome back to week two of our four-week Christmas series called What's This World Coming To? Last week, we looked at a man named Ahaz. You might remember Ahaz. He was a king, a king of a a nation called Judah, and Judah was in the southern part of what the Bible calls the promised land of God. And he was looking over some of God's own people in the southern part of that land. And when he took the throne as a, a young man, he was 20 years old or so. This is all just review from last week. But when he, when he took the throne, it wasn't long after that that neighboring nations besieged against him and tried to unseat him from the throne. And while he's trying to defend his capital city in Jerusalem, there were other nations warring in his villages and pillaging in, the, in his villages in the southern part of the kingdom. And it felt as if everything in his life was coming apart at the seams. And we, we use that story from the book of Isaiah to draw sort of a parallel to our own lives, that, that there are many days, sometimes too many to count, when we also feel like everything in our lives is sort of waging war against us. Yes? We talked about the pressures of a job, the pressures of raising families, right? Schoolwork, maybe if you're still in school, maybe you're doing work and school, I pray for you. God be with you if you're, if you're that person who's trying to pay off debt while you're taking on debt. What a mysterious, wonderful thing you're doing right there. And we, we have also this idea of shattered hopes and, and dreams sort of laying siege against us as well as, 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 well as uh, medical issues and financial issues and family issues and all kinds of things. And when we looked at Ahaz's life in comparison to some of the struggles that we have, uh, we wanted to learn from what Ahaz did not do. Ahaz, unfortunately, did not lean upon the strength and the love of God to help him through these difficult times. And, and instead, he, he rather tried to form his own way through all of this. 
He, he was quite fearful of what was going to happen to him. And God sent a man, Isaiah, to give him hope, to give him faith and to tell him that I will be with you in the middle of this. In fact, he even said, don't worry about what's happening in your life. God is telling Ahaz, it is going to be fine. Trust me in this. And he asks him to have faith in it and even warns him. He says, if you don't have faith in this thing and have strength in faith in this, you won't have faith in anything. You won't be strong in anything, he says. And God came to Ahaz and says, and if you need help with your faith, this is what I love. God came to him and says, if you need help with your faith, I'll even give you a sign to prove it's true. Ask me for a sign, any sign you want from the heights of heavens to the, the, the depths of, of hell. Anything you want, God will do for you as a sign and a promise. But Ahaz refused. I'll do this on my own. He, he was allowing the fear in his life to control him because we talked last week that fear oftentimes causes us to either run away or to try to tackle things on our own. And he had decided to tackle this thing on his own. And since he refused to ask God for a sign, God himself said, well, then I'll give you a sign on my own. And we read this in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, that says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And when we study and hear that language a lot around Christmas time, when we celebrate the birth of Christ, it is in fact in Matthew's gospel, chapter one, where we see that, that Isaiah prophecy quoted again in Matthew's gospel. Let me read this here in Matthew chapter one. And it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, and Matthew tells us what Emmanuel means, it means God with us. So I want you to picture this. In the midst of Ahaz's turmoil, in the midst of the frightened state that he was in, God comes to allay his fear, and his promise for his fear is God himself. The promise for the remedy for all of the, the fear in his life is, in fact, God himself. God is saying, I'm going to send my son to be with you. God is saying, I'm going to be with you. In the midst of all of the struggle in your life, God will be with you. And so last week we talked about this, this idea that sometimes when life seems to sort of besiege against us, it's easy for us to say, what's this world coming to? I can't control anything that's happening. This whole thing is coming apart at the seams. Anyone ever feel that, especially around Christmas time? Just so you know, I haven't even started decorating still. Pray for me. It's a thing. Like I'm freaking out right now. I have no idea what's happening. We actually might not do Christmas at my house. Do not tell my, my children. <laughs> When, whole, when all of life seems to be coming to part of the seams, um, God wants us to remember that he said he would come and be with us in the middle of this. So maybe we pause instead of crying out from our innermost being, saying something like, what's this world coming to? Where is the help that we need? Maybe we pause and consider and with hope-filled breath, rather say, look what's come into the world. Because that's what the story of Christmas is about, the birth of Jesus, God's son to be with us. That's, that's what we say now. Look what's come in to the world. And there are many things that God makes available to us through his son, Jesus. Uh, and I want to pick apart one of those today as we go through another story in the Bible. But before I do so, I do 
always want to pray for us that we would be just ready to receive what God would say. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together? God, thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you that we don't have to cry, what's this world coming to, but get to look at Jesus and say, but, but you sent Jesus into the world. Look what's coming to the world. And so God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to be a helper to us, to help us to learn and to know who you are and how you operate in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and be with us today. I pray that you would uh, help us study the Bible and to know more about you, Lord. God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. And um, we pray that we feel your presence here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When the prophets were declaring that God would, would send himself to us um, through Jesus Christ, we're learning as we study today that, that Jesus is going to offer something to us that no thing and no other person can give us. And I want you to know that. that the thing that we're going to talk about today, you cannot, in fact, find it on your own. You can't find it the way God intends for us to have it on your own. You can't find it in nothing else and in no one else but through Jesus alone. I was praying this morning that of all the people that would come this morning, if, if, if everything else falls flat, if nothing else works today, I was praying that people would just hear that message, that it is in fact Jesus that we're trying to point people towards, that it is in fact Jesus, the Son of God, who's come to earth to save his people, to be with his people, that we would at least focus upon him. And so that's my desire for us. So I want to pick up the story of Jesus' birth in Matthew's gospel, chapter 2. And I'll read a few verses here. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Just stick that into the sticky part of your brain for a moment. Herod the king was troubled when he heard that a, another king had been born. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And, and Matthew quotes an Old Testament prophecy here, and he, he quotes this. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Oftentimes in the Bible, we'll see the New Testament authors quoting Old Testament passages. And that's helpful for us because sometimes the Old Testament passages are speaking about events that maybe take place in the future. They speak about events that maybe don't make sense to us. And so we allow the New Testament authors to sort of um, define for us what those Old Testament things mean, right? The best interpreter of the Bible, just so you know, is the Bible itself, yes? And so, so Matthew is quoting Micah, but I want to go back and read that actual passage out of Micah because um, I'm not trying to read a reason into this. I don't have a motive behind Matthew for doing this, but he leaves something out of that passage that I want to draw our attention to, okay? Um, it's in Micah chapter five, and I'll read a few verses here. Where'd you go? 
Verse two, this will sound familiar to Matthew, okay? Listen, he says, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Verse four, skip down there. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, sounds like what Matthew said, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And verse five, the first part of verse five, says this, and he shall be their peace. This, this promised one, the Messiah that is to come, he shall be their peace. That's what I want to talk about today. See, in this Christmas season, this will be a, a constant refrain for us as we sing carols and get out Christmas decorations, if you ever get to those things, wink, wink, right? And, and we see these things that say, peace on earth, good will to men, all that stuff. This peace component of Jesus' birth is supposed to be a part of our lives, we're singing songs about it. We're seeing it on Christmas cards. Thank you, by the way. We're seeing all, all of that. And yet, if we were truly honest with ourselves, we'd have to question if that is, in fact, the word that we would use to describe our lives. If God has come through Jesus Christ to give us peace, he shall be your peace, then why are we not having the peace that the Bible then describes? I have some thoughts, and I'd love to share those with you. I think the first issue when it comes to finding the peace that God offers us is I think we're working with the wrong definition of what peace is. I think we don't know exactly what peace is. See, we oftentimes can look at, at peace from a, um, a secular or a worldly point of view. We look at peace as something like this. It's the absence of any uh, uh, problems. It's the absence of persecution. It's the absence of any pain in our lives. It's a personality that we find free of any external conflict at all. And yet, the Bible has a much different view of what peace really is. And in fact, if you would allow me, we need to let the Bible explain and define what peace is, yes? Would you believe that God's word, the Bible, is better at defining terms than we are? Maybe this half's awake. I'll preach to you guys. <laughs> I'm, no shame here. Anyways, so <laughs> we want the Bible to define it for us, but we want to say peace looks like no pain, looks like no persecution, looks like no no problems. But when we look to the Bible and define it, we see that the the description of of peace there is actually much broader than even all of those things. That, that, that um, peace, as defined by the Bible, it comes from the, the Hebrew word shalom. It, it's hidden inside. The peace that God gives us is hidden in this Hebrew idea or word of shalom, which, just so you know, it, it, it invokes an idea of completeness, to be made complete. That's the peace that the Bible is talking about. That's the peace that Micah was promising. The Old Testament anticipated it. The New Testament confirmed it, that this peace would be mediated by a Messiah who is the Christ Jesus. And Jesus speaks to us in his own words as he's speaking to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27 
as Jesus talks about the peace that he's come to give. He says these words, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus has come to give us doesn't look like the world's peace. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we can't see peace in our life is because we're looking for the wrong peace. Um, uh, so last week, last Saturday, I came downtown to do a little bit of work on a Saturday evening. It was also the same night that the parade was happening. So I was in the middle of all that crazy, okay, I'm just saying. And that was also the same night that um, tornadoes decided to rip through central Illinois. Just a crazy night all around. I'm sitting in my office and um, I get a phone call from one of my daughters. And one of my daughters was in the parade. In fact, I dropped her off at the parade and I was a little concerned for her because of the storms and stuff. But I thought to myself, eh, she'll be fine. <laughs> I just said, <laughs> right, there are other adults. I, I just, I'm that guy, I believe that God is sovereign and she'll be fine. Okay, then anyway, so I love her. I just trust that God is in charge of her. So um, she's out there doing that, and uh, uh, the parade happens. They rush the parade through if you were here, and then uh, she's on her way home. I call her. I'm like, did you get through the parade okay? Yes, everything was fine, Dad. Thanks for checking. I said, okay, I just want to make sure you're fine. 20 minutes later, I get a call from the same daughter who tells me that one of her friends that was in the parade with her um, is still downtown. And in fact, she's wandering the streets downtown because she cannot find her car. She, she rushed in and, you know, not knowing the downtown area very much, she just pulled onto a side street, parked it, jumped into the parade, walked around the downtown, and when the parade's over, everyone evaporates and she's going, dude, where's my car? I'm just saying. <laughs> like, that's a thing. And um, so I said, well, we'll tell her to make her way to, to Renaissance next to the Avon Theater. I will go help her. I'll drive her around, we'll find her car. It's not a big deal. And so she finds her way to the Lincoln Theater, not the Avon Theater. <laughs> and is waiting, and a half an hour goes by, and, and they call back, and she's, she's losing her mind. 16, 17-year-old girl, she's just freaking out, okay? So I thought to myself, what would I want for my daughter is someone like me to come help her. So I rush over there, I pick her up, and I, I get her in a car. I said, all right, so tell me where you entered downtown. She's kind of explaining this to me. And I said, okay, well, let's start with this. What does your car look like? And she says, well, it's not my car. It's, in fact, my aunt's car. And I went, uh-oh. I said, what kind of car is it? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> I, said, I said, what color is it? She's like, well, I know it's black. I said, oh, that narrows it down to about 20,000 cars. <laughs> so I put her in a car and I start driving down the road and all we know to go on is it's a black car on a side street somewhere downtown. And I'm just asking her, so where'd you come in? What street did you turn down? And we're driving down the road. And she goes, oh, there it is. And we just happened to drive by it. I mean, God is good, yes? So she was in my car a total of two minutes, found her car, and was on her way. But I bring that story up to say, if we didn't know what her car looked like, we never would have found it. If we don't know the peace that we're looking for, that God has promised to give to us, we will never find it. And if the world is telling us that peace is somehow the absence of persecution, the absence of problems, the absence of all of pain in your life, that peace is not the peace that God gives. No wonder your life isn't filled with peace. But when you begin to look 
at the Bible and understand how it defines peace, that it is part of this completeness, this wholeness that God offers to us, well, that changes everything then. See, part of the problem of not finding peace is we try to, to navigate it externally. We use things like virtue to find peace in our lives. And this might speak to some people in the room, that you've decided to not live your old life anymore. Hallelujah, praise God for that. I'm not going to steal and cheat and lie and do all the things I used to do. Anyone? I'm going to be virtuous in my life. I'm going to live with virtue. And you try to find peace in virtue. And you're doing the right things. You're not stealing and cheating and all those wonderful things. Thank you for that. That's wonderful. And yet inside, you're still wanting to steal and cheat and to lie. Yes? Sometimes. See, virtue can't bring peace to your life either. And even when you do things with the utmost intention behind them, the great moralistic right, um, desire to do wonderful things for others, others will, will criticize your motives behind it, which then brings turmoil and strife to your life. Virtue can't produce peace in your life, and neither can a vice of sorts. For others in the room, it's like, I'll just work out until there's endorphins in my brain get going. I'll run until I feel good, is what people say. I think that's the strangest thing in the world. <laughs> I'm looking at you two. The Bible tells us it is a foolish man who runs when no one is chasing them. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers, but I'm pointing right at them. <laughs> but we want peace. We want settledness. We want anxiety to, to leave us. We want depression to be gone in Jesus' name. And we work out, and we work out to try to produce some chemical in our brain that will help with that. And if the chemical doesn't work, then we'll find another drug that will do that. And peace, ah, yes, the, the, uh, the rush of peace will be in our bloodstream, but for a while, and soon that high will dissipate, and the peace will leave us again. See, peace, the world's peace, can't be found to last for us. But God's peace has, has come to last for us. It has come to complete us and to make us whole. We also can't find peace through something like violence, because that's what the world would say. The world would say, if you have an enemy, just, just beat your enemy and you'll have peace. Push back those who oppose you and you'll find peace. And we see this all around the world around us. And sometimes even when we don't have an actual enemy waging war against us, against us, we'll go find an enemy so that we can wage war against them. The problem with a peace that looks like that is over time you'll, you'll beat that enemy. You'll, you'll beat that opposing force in your life only to see it replaced by another one. That, that guy at work that you just can't stand, they feel the same about you, just telling you that right now, right? And if you, if, you, if you frustrate them so much that they quit and they leave or whatever, like you win the battle in making your workplace a much more peaceful environment, I'm telling you the next hire is gonna be worse than the first guy. Wars are just a succession of... Um, conflict over and over and over again. The, the war to end all wars, right? World War I was soon to be followed by World War II. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Because that's the peace that the world is telling us we're trying to attain, but we don't want that now. The, the, the peace that, that God wants to give us, as he spoke about through Micah and Isaiah the prophet, said that Jesus would be the prince of peace, that he would be the peace in our lives. We need to find that this peace that God has for us is not actually found externally, but it's found internally. 
So we go back to the passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, this peace that I give you, let me read it again. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. This this little verse that I'm taking out of that whole chapter is where Jesus is talking about him giving us the Holy Spirit Jesus is come to earth, right? He will soon die upon a cross. He's marching towards Calvary right now. He will soon die upon a cross. He will be raised from the dead, hallelujah, and he will ascend back to heaven, back to be with God the Father. But before he does so, he promises his disciples that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be a helper to you, a comforter to you. And in the midst of all of that conversation, he says, this peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What he's describing for us is, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The peace that God has for us is something that lives and dwells inside of us. It's not an external thing. This is why when we read the New Testament and we see the apostles being persecuted for their proclaiming the Christian faith, right? The apostle Peter, the apostle Paul, etc. And they're thrown in prison. They are beaten time and time again. And yet all of them seem to have this joy and peace that exudes from within them. Because peace is not defined by our circumstances. It's inside of us. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, right? Because this is something you have to decide for yourself. This is what God offers us in his son, Jesus Christ. That we can have the peace of God in us, but only from him. So the first issue I know is that we have to stop seeking peace that we want and receive the peace that he gives us. The second thing I I believe explains why we don't have a lot of peace in our life is because we sometimes just outright um, refuse it. That God has presented it to us as a gift. Merry Christmas. We just refuse it. I want to pick up on that in the rest of Matthew chapter 2. So back to the story the great Christmas story of a magical star in the sky. Isn't that so cool? Which is why you put a star on your Christmas tree if you're a pagan like me and celebrate with Christmas trees. Okay. Those are jokes. That's all I got. I don't think I'm coming back to this renaissance thing. That guy's a wild man up there. Jesus is born. These wise men out east see the the star, they come to Jerusalem, they meet with King Herod, King Herod is troubled. That's where we know, that's what we know so far. Uh, Pick up here in verse seven. It says, then Herod summoned these wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and so he sent them to Bethlehem, right, where Jesus was born. Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And you can underline that. That he too wants to come and and worship this baby Jesus as well. Now, skipping down to verse 11, it says, Now, going into the house, these wise men saw the child with Mary, his mother. They all fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And then being warned in a dream not to return back to Herod, because that's what Herod asked, go find him and come back to me. They were, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they departed back to their own country a different way. They took the highway instead of the interstate back, if you know what I mean. Now, when these wise men, when they had departed, verse 13, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, his father, right, in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For look what's happening now. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph takes the child down to Egypt, you know, fade to black, part two next week or whatever. But I want you to picture the, the change that happened in, in Herod's heart. I was reading this again this week and I was struck by that verse in um, verse eight when he asks the wise men to ascertain where Jesus was born because he too wanted to go worship him. He, he wanted to go. Now, some would say, well, I think he was just lying. Maybe he was, Joe. Maybe he was. But maybe he wasn't. Maybe there was something deep-seated inside of him that actually wanted him to receive the peace that the Old Testament prophets had promised. Maybe there was something inside of him that made him look towards the Messiah that would, would mediate that peace for him. Maybe there was something inside of him that says, you know what, I'm sick of being stressed out all the time. I surrender. I don't know. I'm just thinking that. But somehow, between there and verse 13, something changed. Instead of coming to worship him, He's come to destroy him. See, Herod had the opportunity to receive the peace that God would give him through his son, Jesus Christ, but he pushed it back. He resisted it. He said, no, thank you. Interesting side note or backstory for Herod. Herod was a very paranoid king. Very, he was always uh, worried about conspiracies of someone trying to overthrow him and take his throne away from him. He had already up to this point murdered one of his mothers-in-law, uh, one of them, two of his wives, and three of his own sons because he all thought they were conspiring against him. If there's ever a man who felt his life was crushing in on him at all times, it was Herod. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus comes and offers peace, offers hope for him, offers all of these things. And maybe but for a moment, he considered, yeah, I do want that too. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe he was conspiring to kill him the whole time. I don't know. I just know this, that the same presentation that God has made to you and I to receive Jesus Christ, and he reminds us of this every Christmas. Merry Christmas, Christ is born. Merry Christmas, Jesus has come. Merry Christmas, Messiah has come to bring peace. The very invitation that we see every year, he was given as well and said no. His kingdom was too valuable to him. Will not allow another king to rule my kingdom. Will not allow another ruler to decide for me what I do with my life. I will not allow another person to come tell me what I can do and what I can't do. Does this sound like anyone you know? Does this sound like us? It does. I had lunch with a, a friend of mine. I say a friend is a guy I know. We're becoming friends. I think he likes me. Jury's still out on that. I don't know, but um, we were having lunch, and, and what I learned from him is he shared with me. He's not from here, but he visits here every now and again, and he told me, Jeff, he, he came to faith in Christ in this church. 
Now, I rejoice in that because I think Renaissance does bring people to Christ. We don't do altar calls, which some people think is weird, but I know people find their way to Christ in here all the time. I know that true is true. And he tells me this story over lunch. He says, Jeff, I actually came to faith in your church. And I said, I had no idea. I believed it, but I had no idea it happened. And he said, you know what the biggest struggle for me was? I said, no. And as he tells me the story, I'm reminded that he used to be a Marine. He's an ex-Marine. And he said, the biggest thing for me is, is um, I had to surrender to Jesus for him to be the Lord of my life. He goes, I don't know if you know this about Marines. We don't surrender. <laughs> Think about that. We don't surrender well. We don't give up well, we, we don't do that. And here's why, because typically when, when you surrender to someone, the victor over you gets to define the terms of your surrender. And oftentimes it's humiliating to them. They'll take their weapons away. They'll do all kinds of things to them. And, and here, here this guy's telling me, I didn't want to surrender because I didn't want to be humiliated. And, and maybe this is the thought of Herod. I don't know what's happening. Maybe this is a thought for you and I. I don't want to surrender because I don't want to be humiliated. But I'm here to tell you right now that when we surrender to Christ, he does not humiliate us. He elevates us. He, he, he completes us. If I had more time, I, I'd go into the work that Christ truly does for us on the cross and through his resurrection. That the separation that exists between God the creator who is holy and just and perfect and us as sinful broken creatures has been closed through Christ that we are no longer separated, that, that Paul the Apostle talks about that we've been made new in Jesus Christ. We are new creations. We, we are no longer objects of God's wrath. All of this stuff that we have been made whole, we have been made complete in Christ, and we celebrate that at his birth. The peace that you and I are missing in our lives is, is found in the fact that we're looking for something other than what God is offering us. So my prayer today was, would just be that, that, <laughs> that people would find it. My prayer today is that you would see it, that you no longer have to labor after something that God has so freely given you. You don't have to do that any longer. You truly can just receive what, what God has done through Jesus. This Christmas, we don't cry out, what's this world coming to? We say, look what's come into the world. Look what's come. Peace has come. Completeness has come. Wholeness has come for us in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I thank you for... Think about the promises from the Old Testament. Some, some of these promises, 700 plus years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, these promises sort of hanging over God's people that one day, one day a Messiah would come. One day a, a healer would come. One day the, the promised one would come and reconcile God's people back to himself. God, it is my prayer this Christmas season that we would be rem rem remembering that it is Jesus Christ who's come to reconcile us back to you. Jesus is more than a baby in a manger to be celebrated at Christmas time, but he is a, a lamb to be slaughtered 
at Easter and to be raised from the dead. He is, he is the one who's overcome death, sin, and the grave that we too by faith can overcome death, sin, and the grave. God, this Christmas season, help us to see the work that Jesus has done for us. God, I thank you for everything that you have done. And I thank you for everything that you continue to do. God, I pray for those of us who are far away from you that we would that we'd hear the call to come and to worship you and come and to receive you and to lay down our treasures before you, the treasure of even our own lives, Lord. That we lay down all of our hopes, all of our passions, all of our pursuits, lay them at your feet and, and then watch you lead us into um, your desire for our lives, your plans for our lives, your dreams for us as well, Lord. I thank you for all of that, God. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.